one. Hey guys, I am Caleb Giddings. And I am Keith Finch. And today we're talking about, uh, well, Keith, why don't you explain what we're talking about right after the sponsor banner rolls? Ta-da, sponsors, including guns.com, who we may or may not have a banner for at this point in time. Probably not. Probably not, although it is being worked on. We got you, guns. Exciting. Just not done yet, and I don't know if I'll have it done by the time this goes into post. Anyway, our topic today, Caleb, is I, I theorized this the other night. And I wanted to talk about the service's individual weapon falls. Obviously, you're you're an Air Force small arms guy. I'm a Army and Marine Corps small arms guy. And then we uh, were talking to Mark recently, who is a Navy small arms guy. That's not his job in the Navy, but he shoots for the Navy action shooting team. So mm-hmm. he deals with small arms and he's part of the small arms uh, reaction team, or he has been when he's been stationed on ships. So each of us are involved in the individual weapons and the small arms of our various branches we worked for. And so I wanted to touch on the concept that the Marine Corps uh, keeps parroting, and that's every Marine rifleman. And the co- that concept is that every single Marine, regardless of MOS, should be able to pick up a rifle and hold the line. Or it they should be able to pick up a rifle and have a clue. Right. Well, and I think that's, you know, that's obviously uh, a core concept to the Marines. Uh, You see what I did there? Core concept. Yeah. (laughs) I got Uh jokes. Um, And it's one of those things that uh, I probably encounter. I will encounter most frequently after someone has just called me chair force in a YouTube comment where they're like, well, I was in the Marines and I was a rifleman. I'm like, what was your MOS again? And they're like, water safety specialist. And I'm like, yeah, okay, help me. Yeah. So getting into that, there are riflemen as an MOS, which I was, I was no 311. And then there's every Marine, a rifleman, meaning every Marine has at least a clue what to do with an M16 mm-hmm. in theory. And now that's executed more poorly and less poorly, depending on where you went. Uh, being in the infantry, I shot in the neighborhood of... 1,000 to 2,000 rounds a year in training in a reserve element of the Marine Corps. So it was actually a decent allotment of ammo for a year's time. And you would shoot that on your individual weapons in live fire and maneuver, and then on crew served weapons or like machine guns, etc. So you actually got some rounds downrange, but I was in a combat arms MOS, and we were also being funded in the middle of GWAT. This was 2007's mm-hmm. Marine Corps and training budget, and you could get things like ammo to train because you thought units would be back in either Iraq or Afghanistan in very short order. For me personally, that didn't happen, but it is what it was. Then I transferred to the Army. I became a small arms tech and transferred to the Army. And small arms techs, the 91F series, they're your gun gurus when you don't actually have infantry guys around with, with that infantry specialty to train on individual weapons. So you then turn to your maintenance techs, your armorers, and it is a completely different mentality when it comes to individual weapons call. And that was shocking for me at the time um, because the army is the other ground combat element. They're larger, they're more logistically based, uh, they're more stand in place. They're more occupational uh, where the Marine Corps is 
uh, more quick reaction force, smaller, mm-hmm. smaller engagements, quicker troop movements, etc. But they both occupy the ground combat element specialty, which means their rear echelon forces are all ex- are also expected to be much further forward in the fight than the Air Force or even the Navy. And so going from the Marine Corps and in the infantry, I don't, I didn't uh, work with any of the supports MOSs closely enough in the Marine Corps to see what those companies did or how they treated it. But if it's anything like what the uh, army support companies did, uh, they spend no time on the concept whatsoever. And yeah. in part, that's because they aren't given a lot of time to do it. But in part, it's sheer na- it's sheer laziness. Nobody cares. There's a lot of nobody cares in in that concept. I do think it's interesting that as uh, uh, an O three eleven in the core, you got less ammo in the year in in the reserves than I get as a small arms instructor for the Air Force. And in fact, if you take a Air Force Security Forces member, our version of an MP, which I could do a really long video explaining the confusing mission of Air Force Security Forces because we don't just have CONUS law enforcement and base security. We also have this thing that we call ground air-based defense, which is like a static combat mission. And it's just, it takes forever to explain and people's eyes glaze over when you try to. But if you take a regular well, that security actually, That actually has an interesting tie, tie in with the, uh, the implementation and the adoption of the M16, if we want to go back that far. It does, actually. That, well, it was that mission that actually brought on the M16. It's like, oh, this would be good for those Air Force guys here. A nice yeah. light rifle. That, which actually, and it also ties into the adoption of the M9. And also, interestingly, it ties into the creation of my career field of small arms instructors, aka combat arms instructors in the Air Force, uh, which there's a whole, I did actually a video on that for my channel, which I can't remember if uh, it got BTFO'd back when the whole internet was hating on me for nothing, nothing at all. Um, but, you know, it's interesting when you see how you see that concept executed and there was even bleed over into the air force of that during the global war on terror because during the last 20 years of essentially ground-based fighting where we haven't had any sort of peer state conflict with jets or sams uh, that surface to air missiles or advanced radar or anything like that a lot of our focus has been in the the dirt side mission and so the the best way to explain this to people outside of the Air Force is we have this thing in the Air Force called the Airman's Creed. And it's the following is the opinion is my opinion, not the opinion of the Air Force. I think the Airman's Creed is dumb. Um, it's it was made up, I want to say like 06 or 08, like when we were at like the peak peak of the GWAT. And it's like, I am an American airman, I am a warrior, and it's got all this like warrior stuff in it, like warrior, warrior, warrior. And when I think warrior, obviously that's, you know, you're trying to evoke a very specific mindset. You know, you're thinking about Spartans at Thermopylae. You're thinking about, you know, knights on horseback. You're thinking about, you know, uh, soldiers in World War II. You're thinking about warriors, people who actually carry the fight to the enemy. And the problem is before that, the Air Force had a culture of skilled technicians, where if you were an enlisted person, your goal was to become a skilled technician at whatever it was you did, whether that was fixing jets or fueling jets or fit or loading bombs and all of these other things that are super freaking important to 
the primary mission of the Air Force, which is to deliver combat air power or to deliver, you know, people with rifles to places where they can shoot other people. And in the GWAT, a lot of this got kind of messed up because we weren't, we were delivering, we, I mean, we were, but we weren't getting shot back at. So some of that technician mindset got lost and they're like, we're all warriors. And I'm like, but you're not, and it's okay to not be. And this is kind of my whole like, and the Air Force has never been like, well, every airman is a rifleman, but conversely, every airman does have to qualify with a long gun or a handgun before they deploy, regardless of their AFSC. They've still got to go through the qual and they've got to do all, you know, and they've got to shoot. And what the Air Force does is the qual is different depending on how likely it is that the Air Force thinks you might have to shoot somebody. So the guys who, you know, like your comm tech that's going to sit in the air conditioned building in uh, Kuwait for the entirety of his or her deployment and only ever go outside when they're walking to and from their room, their qual is very simple. Yet some of them still fail. Uh, whereas like many of them fail to be perfectly frank yeah. and you know they go through retry and reshoots and all of that but they eventually get there but there's a lot of people who don't pass it so to me like i i, I i'm torn I, I feel two kind of ways about it do i think that everyone in the military regardless of your job should be competent enough to pick up a rifle know how to load it, take the safety off, generally aim it and fire it? Yes. But that kind of breaks down for me in reality. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And it's one of those that where I would leave the Air Force out of it. Certain MOSs, absolutely not. Like your MOS, for example, absolutely right. not. Small arms instructor, and then any of the more forward-facing Air Force personnel who interact with the ground combat elements, whether it's helicopter crew chiefs or, or whatever, no, those those closer to the ground elements should probably get lumped in with this of having harder weapons quals and being held to that higher standard. But the ground combat element forces, the, the Army and the Marine Corps, they should have that standard. And I want them to take that standard more seriously, especially in the rear echelon elements. And it's one of those mm -hmm. things that I got into the National Guard side of things, despite the fact that we have infantry companies and despite the fact that we have these forward-facing maintenance companies that are expected to be reasonably close to where something might pop off. And on top of that, they are on the ground there to do, right. to do their jobs. So they're, they're in range if someone is running up and trying to perform a rear, rear echelon or a rear area ambush, knowing that they are going to encounter non-combat troops and therefore have a greater chance of survival and being effective on the enemy because you're not engaging the infantry forces. You're not engaging the forces whose primary job is to shoot you in the face. Mm -hmm. You know, So that it, that's always been uh aspect of me and i understand it from the air force perspective i also understand it from the navy perspective that you're going to have certain individuals on the ship that are your arms team that are going to respond to a boarding threat something that's on the ship an active shooter or something like that and then you're going to have a lot of people who's that that isn't their job their job is instead to get out of the way harden down shut everything up and make sure that wherever that threat is they can only go so many places. I, I understand that. So the ground, the 
mo moving this forward into the upgraded individual weapon quals we see, I know the Air Force is developing one, I know the Marine Corps is developing one, and I know the Army has just finished implementing their new one. Mm -hmm. And I like it. I like where these guys' heads are at because you're bridging the gap between an, an individual weapons call is never meant to be hard. It's not meant to be hard. No, it's meant it's to, a qualification. It, it's a meant to show a standard and enforce a standard. And it's a basic standard. But the armies and the and the Marine Corps is doing a similar one, but the armies uh, took a very hold your hand qualification, which was the old one, where they literally broke it down to all right. Now let's take our weapons from safe to fire and shoot the targets. Okay, we're done. Now we will move our weapons from fire to safe. It's like, no, that's this. We're going beyond what should already be automated actions. You know, if you don't know this, you aren't qualified and we shouldn't give you a qualifications. Yeah. You sh should not be holding your hand this far just to say, oh, you're IWQ, you're individual weapon qualified. The new standard is very much like a single drill, and I like that. You start the drill. It's a 40-round drill. You finish the drill. You either passed or you failed. It, it could be a, a 10, you know, it's very similar to a 10-10-10 or a standards test or, or anything like that. And I'm glad they're going in that direction. Yeah, I don't... Um... I think that when you're talking about like individual weapons quals, it is, and I think this also explains some of my burnout with it too. And, and why I'm like, why am I bothering to qualify all these people who are never going to meet? Like, why am I bothering to qualify somebody who's not even actually taking a gun with them on their deployment and doesn't have an assigned weapon? Like what, please tell me why. Um, but I think that it's because it's a box that we're checking on a checklist, I think that's where you get that sort of apathy towards it that you see, especially in your rear echelon units and your units that aren't, that are not taking weapons with them on their deployment. And for, I, I, I fully appreciate that, uh, that method of thinking because the last mission I did with the army wasn't a deployment. It was just, and when we went there, we didn't take weapons. It wasn't our job. We weren't even actively participating in the training mission that was going on in Europe. We were supporting that training mission. So our job was to let everyone else play Cold War to European Boogaloo um, while we supported that mission with, with sustainment efforts. I was with a quartermaster company, so it was showers and laundry. Our job mm. was showers and laundry for everyone who was there. So we didn't even bring individual weapons. We weren't even participating in the training exercise to that degree. We would do our actual actual soldiering army training time, you know, at another time, at, at another right. place. So uh, you guys were providing real-world logistics. Yeah. We were doing real-world logistics for a training mission. Which, Interesting. Yeah. But, of um, course, there's always the sergeant major as and whatnot, the good idea fairies who are like, no, they should play along, too. It's like, sergeant major, that's not their job. Yeah, that's definitely not. Your, that's, that's not my job right now. I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to do my actual job, which is watch this guy's laundry. Um, interesting. So I think this, this, one, this subject, it's, there's such a cultural rift between the services on a lot of this, you know. And again, and there's, with even, the, a, there's even an inter- intra 
one of those words, even in the service themselves. Inter- yeah, there's an internal rift between the purported, you know, every, and I'll go back to the title, every Marine or rifleman. There's the purported, that's the mentality we should have. Then there's actually the mentality everyone holds, which seems to be, oh, it's checking the box. Yeah, which, and it's unfortunate because you get that, when you get that box checking mentality and, you know, it's something that I've struggled with as an instructor too, where I'm like, do I want to, do I even have time to check? Do I even have time? Like, do I check the box? Do I have the time to actually try to teach this person to be effective with their weapon system? You know, and it's, it's a, it's a, it can be a very tough question for a lot of people, uh, mm-hmm. myself included with it, which is why I've always thought that. So, uh, oh crap, I can't talk about that. That's still FOU. Damn it. Anyway, I can talk, I can say that the air force is developing a new rifle call, but I can't really talk about more than that. I like, what they're what I can say is having seen what I've seen of the new planned qualification uh, that'll be rolling out to our group A shooters, which those are the people that the Air Force believes have a reasonable possibility of needing to use their weapon in the line of duty. Um, what I've seen of it so far, I actually like it. I like the idea behind it. I like the thought process behind it. And I like the way that it changes it from checking a box every year, which is what you still have to check the box, but instead of having to check the box every year, you spend more time doing meaningful shooting and getting meaningful trigger time, at least in its, that's the hope for how it's written. And I'm, I'm optimistic that it'll work out well because anything that we can do to cut back on box checking and focus on actual performance-based shooting, one of my favorite phrases is, mm-hmm. is I think a good thing. And I agree. And that's one of the one of the reasons why I like the uh, the new army qualification is it's more heavily into the performance based shooting and it breaks it down to a level that as long as you follow the steps and follow the round count, the individual soldier, even a rear echelon soldier who's just in a maintenance or supply MOS and they are they are sitting watching logistics and not not ever going to be or probably are never going to be that close to the action in order to need to pick up the weapon uh they're still going to get meaningful training and and useful training out of the individual Mm -hmm. weapon ball program because the ammunition and the time is expended in a way to do that because you and i both know you can learn you can have a good day on the range with 100 rounds oh for sure you you can get a good training session out of 100 rounds but there are will, there's beta, there are plenty of ways to waste a hundred rounds too. I'll give you guys a perfect military example of that. So f- during the year for qualification, I have my these this is these are rounds that I have just for qualification. Uh, our rifle course is 276 rounds. Uh, our pistol course is 90 rounds. Tossing an additional 10 rounds of pistol ammo for transition training from rifle to pistol. Then um, M2, so because I'm an instructor, I have to qualify on all the weapon systems that are at my base, right? So M249 is another, uh, I always get this one wrong, 600 rounds. Uh, Grenade launcher is 203s, that's 15 rounds of, and those are just Cheetos. And then the worst qual that we have, and worse because it's terrible, is 240. So the 240 qual, is 1600 rounds counting all of the different tables which include like firing with a night scope firing from a vehicle and all of that stuff the base qual just like if you took out all of that stuff is still like 
1,200 rounds. And I can tell you, having run this qual, I've, I've, I've run hundreds of people through this qualification at this point, and I've shot it myself every year since 2015. I don't need 1,200 rounds to tell if somebody's good uh, is going to be a good machine gunner. I no, absolutely that's, do that's not. 12, that's 12 short belts. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I do not need 1200 rounds to figure out if somebody's going to be a good machine gunner. I could do it in honestly with most people. If you can't, in, so the range that we call out at has pop ups out to 800. If you can't get consistent effects on target out to 500 meters in the first like two, three belts, you're not, you don't have what it takes. Like there's something in your brain that is not clicking with the machine gun, but the good machine gunners, the ones who like have a knack for it, are, well, they'll be like, all right, I'll be like, start at the 100 yard target, whack. Okay, move to 150, whack. Okay, move to 200, whack. And I'm like, you're good at this, mm-hmm. you know? And they get they'll, up to 500. With that, that seven to 10 round burst and it's right on where it needs to be yep. or they need one adjustment. Yeah, and like at 500, they hit it once, they, you know, they adjust and then they're on it, you know? And I'm like, all right, you know what you're doing. And now, and they're like, I'm like, you know what you're doing. Guess what? We have 1,300 more rounds to shoot. Yep. Like, oh, well, you you had fun with that belt. Let's see where this goes after my cat comes back. Yeah. I just, yeah. So that's, and that's a perfect example of. And, and wow. that's so backwards to me. That's so much ammo in my opinion, because I mean, infantry side, we, we had large stockpiles of ammo and we could train mm-hmm. like that. And the air force that's your a group shooters which would be infantry equivalent but um the the rear echelon of the army there's nowhere near that ammo allotment like the the current ammo allotment for uh the individual weapons call the whole thing with a rifle is 98 rounds you have 18 rounds to zero the gun which they don't really go over this and and most of it is short stocked so much you compress this lesson plan so much and you just hand you just hand it to the nco who needs to you know run it that day not necessarily an actual small arms train or anything like that but it's like all right this is friday saturday and sunday guys here we go you know on friday we we do this on saturday we do this and sunday we do this turn everything in and go home Uh, and it's so check in the box that those 98 rounds provide no value to, to the shooters whatsoever. They either oh, yeah. show up, they either show up and they're able to do it or that the extra rounds that are there to help them practice provide no actual value to the soldiers under the new, under the new qualification, it's structured in such a way that regardless of whether or not they make it through and qualify, which they should, it's a better qualification structure. It's a little easier to get the hits on target but there's also more value to the soldier building up to it. So we would, we would see scores and qualification numbers go up anyway, just because you build it up and you knock the rust off. There's an actual procedure from the first round to the final round fired. Yeah. Um, yeah. Box checking is just, it is, it is very frustrating and it's frustrating when you get, you know, when, when you have, I like our pistol call in the air force. I've sh- there's videos of me shooting it on IDPA targets and a bunch of other stuff. I think that 
one of the things that I have to remember a lot is, so we have, when we teach it, when we teach the pistol class, we have, if we're doing it by the book, we have like a four to six hour classroom time that includes dry fire and stuff like that. And then the first 45 rounds are practice. And then we can adjust, you know, students and hopefully get them through the next 45 rounds. But it is, I have seen people who have like shot a failure on the first and it was, you know, maybe by one or two. Uh, and then they get it on the second try because they make, you know, a minor adjustment or something like that. I've never seen anybody on any of the quals that I've run who had major marksmanship deficiencies, like magically pass it going from practice to qual. You know, like we're talking like, to, just to give people who've never heard me say this before, the Air Force qual is 45 rounds at a target that's approximately the size of a B-20 whatever the, the police target that everybody the big one right yes thank you yeah it's it's ballpark in the same size ish as that right of those 45 rounds to qualify you have to hit the target 35 times anywhere anywhere mm-hmm. and it's shot at 7 15 and 25 yards it is it, it, i've said this before it is extremely easy to pass it is moderately challenging to get a marksman or expert score on and it's difficult to shoot a clean score on like a perfect score um but i've never seen somebody who like they needed a 35 to pass and on their first run they shot like a 20 magically find those 15 rounds on qual phase you know it just it doesn't happen because they don't have the skill set necessary to get them there and the the army is the same way especially with their rifle qual uh you they're they either pass on the first time around they're right there and missed it by a point so they get to get it on their second run through or they they weren't there and the problem is there is no structure for remediation there's no one there's no way right now that i can take a soldier off the line and say look you clearly need help we need to get we need to spend actual training rounds with you that aren't qual. And I don't, I don't know if the Air Force uh, has a better structure for that in place uh, than the Army, but the Army's is absolutely garbage. Like they, on paper, there's a, supposedly a way to do it, but in practice, it never lands that, oh, hey, I have a struggling soldier who needs to learn their individual weapon. Let's actually, actually draw, set aside, and put some range time together so they can do that. So we actually do, um, but not for, I don't know what it is for, so for cops, for a group, for, for my AFSC, for security forces, we have an annual allotment of what are we refer to as proficiency rounds. And if, and so I think it's like 500 rounds a year that cops are allotted just for proficiency fire. So if I've got a kid who fails and I want to, you know, and I'm like, he needs one-on-one instruction time, I can pull proficiency rounds for him run him through those um uh run him run him through those proficiency rounds try to get him back up to where we need him to be before we attempt to send him through the recall uh, one of the other things that i think the air force does very well is most bases have some kind of milo or uh simulator system so mm-hmm. If I've got somebody with real serious deficiencies and like they're struggling with recoil and like closing their eyes when they shoot or stuff like that, I can be like, hey, let's go dry fire in the Milo for like a day and see if we can fix your fundamentals here. Cause then I can take them out of that stressful environment 
when I can put them in the simulator and I can like, here's your, here's how we fix your grip. Here's how we fix your stance. So we actually do have the time and uh, the, the we, we have the budget and we have the tools to do that. The hardest part is, especially on active duty, if you're talking about an airman who's qualifying for duty, not for deployment, well, his flight chief needs him back out on flight and he's got yep. to post and he's got to do these things. So trying yeah, to steal try, time away, away from all the other things that you need to yeah. do. In a, and I and I get that too, because uh, the, the Army uses the EST2 system and I think the Marine Corps uses it too, which is another simulator system. Uh, that simulates recoil, they're gas-operated guns with a compression tank and, and stuff like that. And it's a good system. It's actually set up real well to dry fire the quals uh, with that simulation system if it's done properly and if it's, if it's run properly. But the logistics side of doing that and helping soldiers with that, if you have a group of soldiers that are uh, struggling proficiency-wise, is A, you have to pull them from the other duties. I get that. You need to give them a block of instruction of three or four hours that they can go, all right, well, before lunch, I don't care what else you had to do. You're going to the EST before lunch or, you know, after lunch, after lunch on your duty day, you're going to the EST. That's, you know, that's what you're doing. That's what you have. And getting, getting NCOs and commanders to set aside that and go, this is a priority is back to that check in the box mentality of, you know, I have all these boxes to check, which is the most important box and uh, individual weapons qual helping a soldier with individual weapons qual on very limited time tends to get bumped down the list quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And then you have sustainment rounds, you have training rounds that you can draw out. Uh, the army does not the, the army with the current structure has no per soldier allotment that I know of, of, sustainment or training or proficiency rounds that I can say, look, or even by company, I don't even know if a company has like, oh, look, you know, the, the 464 in Michigan has 10,000 sustainment rounds that they can dip into and say, look, we have soldiers who need more trigger time in order to get our qual numbers up. And it, that's, everyone gets their allotted 98. Now that's changing to 120 roughly under the new qual and just structure wise we're going to see scores improve because it actually builds up a soldier from grouping to zeroing uh to engaging the targets always from supported positions which is nice but it's also going to be a very much pass or fail you either know what you're doing with the order of operations on your gun and, and moving through shooting it reloading it and changing positions or you don't and it's going to be very telling which uh, commanders in which uh, platoon leaders and their NCOs set up their guys for success and which continue with the formula as it is where we're going to hand this to Sergeant First Class so-and-so two days before we need to do this and he's just got to make it work. That sounds terrible. It is. That sounds... Well, and again, I think... This, this is know. one of the reasons I still work with the National Guard in Michigan is because these like from somewhere in the middle of the command structure on down they just throw this duffel bag this 50 pound duffel bag called rifle qualification down the hill and it just lands on some poor staff nco that is going to do the best they can but like they're not a small arms instructor they're just the nco in charge of the range 
So the question so is, your your MOS is better at this and structured properly, and you're in the Air Force when like the Army, which is supposed to be good at this, is not. So, and the problem is, there's really no fix for a lot of this. I mean, there is, you know, do I think it's that a having hard fix? It's yeah. a very hard fix because it's I do multi, think that multi-part. It is. So, for example, I think that you know the Air Force does something. I think that the Air Force having small arms instructor as a primary career field is smart. And it blows my mind that we're the only branch that does that. Um, which there's a funny story about why we're the only branch that does it that involves General LeMay wanting to kick sand in the face of the army of the head of the army at the time by beating them at Camp Perry. So but that's that's a different <laughs> story for a different time. Um, we did by the way. Anyway, but uh you know that's part of it. I think that implementing training that is oriented towards performance and not checking a box like the army is doing with their qual is part of it. And, you know, I think, I, I think the biggest thing though, and I don't know how to fix this because if I did, I'd be rich on a beach is you have to have even good training and even, uh, having firearms instructor as a primary AFSC doesn't fix the problem if you don't have buy-in from your NCOs. If you don't have right. buy-in from the people that are responsible for implementing the program, a good program implemented shittily will still produce shitty results. And, and that's, that's my biggest fear with the Duke Qualls is the fact that the institutional inertia isn't there. I, I have met and I've talked with a lot of NCOs who do want to turn this around, but they also have everything else they have to do in a day. So getting, getting this bolder off off this low point and starting to roll in the proper direction out of the depression that it's in right now and getting getting the institutional inertia behind uh, making weapons qualifications and individual weapons handling a greater priority and it to a respectful degree depending on what they need to do and where that actually matters in their day-to-day job but more than it is right now because I've been running into soldiers for years now who they don't think they're soldiers. They aren't, they don't have a soldier's mentality. Mm. uh, I get to put on camo uniform and sit around and do nothing. Right. I mean, I wear, I wear a U.S. army on my chest, but I am not a soldier. I don't, they don't have a soldier's mentality that, you know, I, this is part of my job and soldiering tasks do matter as well as my actual job. Mm-hmm. My, my MOS matters, but my soldiering tasks also matter. So I, I want to see the logistics guy running a warehouse, but being able to comfortably wear an M4 on his back the entire time he does that because he might be in a place where that matters. You know, it's interesting as you say that I was thinking about the whole, you know, the concept of like uh, being, you know, a soldier first or every Marine a rifleman and all of that. And, you know, with, with respect, obviously to my branch where I, I don't particularly care if the calm guy can wear an M4 on his back comfortably because that's never been our culture. The air force has never had a culture of you're a soldier first, because what it meant to be an airman was to be a skilled technician. And that goes all the way back, you know, and that's, that's part of why we kept, instead of having an E6 be a staff sergeant in the Air Force and E6 is a technical sergeant, which is something we stole from the old Army Air Corps that we used to be, where you had these guys who were 
E6s, they were, they're the whole, like, if you guys have ever watched Band of Brothers, which if you're watching this, you probably watch Band of Brothers, you'll notice some of the NCOs, there's a T in their chevrons, and that stood for technical, which meant that they were a technician on whatever this thing that they had. And there's a whole interesting history of why we kept technical sergeants and then the military, the army, oh God. The Air Force is the military, guys, I promise. It really is. <laughs> but the Army got rid of that as kind of a designator. But um, the uh, it's interesting as I think about this, because when I think of airmen, like you think of a core soldiering task, you know, and it's something that is part of being in the Army or part of being a Marine is that core task. And, I and I'm racking my brain and I'm trying to think of what a core airmening task would be, because our our entire culture as a force is built around this idea of creating like these your, skilled your like, specialties these people, are yeah. more in depth than most of the other branches i, would well, say I didn't navy, even know i would say the navy probably gets closest but yeah because, because of the ground combat element of the army and of the marine corps that the the idea of pushing everything toward that infantry element, that ground combat element makes a lot of sense. Whereas the air force, every job of the air force and in uh, by, and in the Navy, the same very, very similar way, every job in the Navy is about running the ships, making Mm -hmm. sure the ships do what they need to do and that they have the logistical support either in an ad hoc port or in an actual port to keep the ships running and the Air Force is the same way about air power. Everything yeah. the Air Force is geared toward specializing in delivering air power. And so it makes sense that the, the culture is different there, especially when it comes to small arms. Small arms is a much smaller part of what the Air Force does. Well, and it's interesting too, because you know the Army does have small arms repairers as an yeah. MOS, which is actually also part of my job. Like my full, uh, the old, so what they, right now, they just call us combat arms. Our old title used to be combat arms training and maintenance, which is why you'll still hear many old heads refer to us as CADM. Um, and then before that, it was the SAM2 small arms marksmanship training unit or something like that. You're the really old heads, like the ones that I hop at like five in the afternoon, still drinking coffee. We'll call it that. That's going to be me soon. Um, but getting there. getting there, but it's, it's, uh, you know, so we do have, and that technician aspect, the repair and all is still very much part of the job as well. But to your point, yeah, we don't have that. Everything that we have culturally, the Air Force's culture was born around getting planes in the air. You know, regardless of what that plane was supposed to do, that was the the enlisted culture in the Air Force was born around getting planes in the air. The officer p- culture was born around, I don't know, drinking martinis in the cockpit, banging chicks, which, you know, for you guys. Good on you. Should have been you, a right? pilot. Son of a gun. But anyway, um, but that enlisted culture has Honest, been- built. Honestly, I, the more I hear about piloting, the more it feels like it's overrated and they don't like giving those guys hours so it wouldn't be nearly as fun as it looks. Yeah, it was probably really rad to be a pilot in like the SAC days, Strategic Air Command in like the 1950s when you're flying around the planet in a bomber that can kill the world. Like that's probably, that probably now, felt pretty now, cool. Awesome. Nowadays it's like, please- Please, Mr. Air Controller, can I get 12 hours in my plane? I'll promise I fly over the football game during some of those. 
right? Um, but yeah, the but that, that culture was built around getting planes in the air. And it even, you can see, even still see it reflected in how we do our on-the-job training. So we have what are called skill levels. Um, you've got, when you graduate uh, your AIT, which we call tech school, you're a three-level. And I think that's a, that's, and they call that person a journeyman. Then you do your OJT and you do some more training and you get upgraded to a five level, which is an apprentice. And then you do some more OJT and some more training and you go to a school, at least in my career field, to get your seven level, which is called a craftsman. And I forget, and there's nine level too. And I don't know what that is because I haven't started working on it yet. But like even in the names, you can see that sort of heritage. Yeah, it's, of, very, it's very a technician mentality. Exactly. Very, very much a craftsman. It's very much... Um, it, that's straight up taken from carpenters, yep. plumbers, Woodward. it's, it's very much a, it's that technical school mentality versus a troop mentality, a soldiering mentality, uh, where the army and the Marine Corps are coming from, where the, the base of the entire service is a single infantry. It's a ground combat infantry, mm -hmm. an infantry unit, uh, but uh, I mean, what's the entire mission of the army to close and destroy with the enemy via maneuver warfare? That's like right there. Yeah, it's right there. And the, the Marine, the Marine Corps is the same thing, you know, uh, you know, maneuver on and destroy the enemy, you know, close, you know, locate close with destroy by fire and maneuver or repel enemy assault by fire in close combat. Like that's the mission of the Marine Corps rifle squad. So getting getting down into into that and looking at the different ways that the branches uh tackle this it's just very interesting to me that the air force and it may be a personnel level uh type thing where uh, i don't know what percentage of the air force are considered a a type shooters where they need they need these quals uh very versus small. yeah it, it, it's small so you take a look at that and then you look at probably the amount of rounds that like SOCOM uses for their guys who are all kinetic uh, type guys or the vast majority of their service is much closer to the kinetic side and is going to be expending more rounds in training and proficiency uh, versus the mentality of getting the entire army, which I think is something like 1.4 million right now, maybe more than that. Um, it, especially when we go into the guard units you know, getting every single one of them ammunition to say that they have their annual qualifications done. It's a massive undertaking logistically. I get that. It's just, I think we've let it slip far too far the other direction. I, so that, I agree. that was today's topic. I, I <laughs> wanted to address that the, that the military, I, I see good things happening in the military and I see them kind of course correcting. And we're just in that middle point where we're starting to push. And I want to see individual weapon balls continue down that path where it's it's going to be a considered priority and and properly placed in that, that hierarchy of needs, especially for the Army, especially for the Marine Corps. And I, I go back to the Marine Corps because the Marine Corps is the one I saw execute it the best. And it be and with that, it's I was with an infantry unit, but our non-infantry. Uh, attachments all knew how to do it too. I never mm -hmm. ran into a Marine in my career, regardless of what their primary MOS was, who could not pick up the rifle 
and make it work. A couple of Navy corpsmen who couldn't, and I usually got to spend some time yelling at those. That was fun. Um, one who almost shot his foot off. It's like, well, you're in the best position to deal with that. So have fun. But, but going, going back to that mentality, I never ran into Marines who couldn't shoot. We had plenty of Marines who couldn't really shoot well, but I never ran into Marines regardless of MOS who didn't feel comfortable with that rifle. Who didn't feel comfortable with the M16, M4. It just looked like what they were there to do. It was part of what they did. So even our admin clerks, even all our logistics guys, our commo guys, every, every one of them could pick up a rifle and knew load it, unload it, hit something at 25 yards or out to 500 the way that the first level of qual goes. They could all do that. And that was part of Marine Corps culture in a way that I did not experience at all in the army, despite it being the second ground combat branch. Hmm. Hmm. Wait, did you call the army the second ground combat branch? Yep. <laughs> I feel like we have some listeners who might take uh, umbrage to that statement. But I don't care. Get okay. better at shooting. <laughs> Fair. Get better at shooting. <laughs> My, I, I think I'll wrap this up. On, I didn't mean wrap this up. We've been going for almost an hour now on uh, individual weapons calls. So will this be our lowest rated episode? Probably. Probably. Will the people that listen to it be super friggin' nerds? Also, yes. Yep. Um, I will say this. My <laughs> absolute favorite thing is whenever they have one of those like best sniper or like inner service marksmanship competitions. And, you know, if special operations deigns to send a team, they usually do pretty well. But if, if it's like regular line units, my favorite thing is when like they have one of those and like some random air national guard unit beats the brakes off of the army and the Marine Corps and all of these other things. That makes, that makes my day every time when every time no business, no business winning this competition, clean, clean everyone out because there's some, there's some reserve unit guy who also run like PRS or something like that. Right. And he's like, Hey guys, we're going to use our entire, he, he, he's like, Hey, we've got these proficiency rounds, right? So why don't we use these to practice? Because so fun fact about how the air force allocates ammo. So if I, as a, a combat arms instructor, I get the proficiency rounds for combat arms instructors, plus more proficiency rounds, because technically I'm also a security forces member. And then if I'm going to a shooting competition that's sanctioned by the air force, I get more ammo to train for that combat, that competition. Cause we want to win obviously, yep. but my all time favorite was, and it was two, three years ago. It was like the best sniper competition and the freaking coast guard blew everyone out. Of the smoked everybody. <laughs> like it wasn't even close. Like the second place team was like the, was, you know, some Ranger team and they got beat by the coast guard. And I'll tell you the reason for this guys, it's because the coast guard sent a bunch of dudes that shoot boat engines out from helicopters. Those guys get DHS money to practice, all right? Just, <laughs> just make they it rain. Second budget. Oh, good lord! All right, guys. Well, that is it for what? This what, week. what about our budget? You've already had it. What about our second budget? Oh, second budget! <laughs> all right, guys. That is it for this week. If you like this video, please make sure you uh, like, share, and subscribe. There will be video. There's a video 
either here or here that you can watch that's probably related to this video from the channel. And one of these uh, floating over my hand will also be a subscribe button. So please like, share, and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please keep leaving us those five-star reviews. I do check the stats and I do check the reviews. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you guys.